Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. We're talking crap today. <laughs> we are. We are talking <laughs> crap today. I had to. I couldn't help myself. I love it. I love, what an intro. What an intro. Um, all jokes aside, though... <clears throat> We're talking about fecal incontinence. Yeah, we've touched on this a little bit, like way, way back in our episode that we did on normal bowel function, but we haven't really talked about fecal incontinence, Mm -mm. what it is, what it means. It might include a few more things that you did not expect and kind of some of the treatment for it and things that, that we can do. So this one's very interesting and hard because it's it can be super complicated mm-hmm. it can be super simple there's so many things that can cause it but it's even less talked about than urinary oh my gosh yes and honestly i'd argue even less than sexual dysfunction too like yeah. you start asking about poop nobody wants People to talk get about it very uncomfortable nobody wants to talk about it even if they are having these symptoms they're like nope i don't have any problems i don't have any issues with that it's like okay but do you like i need to know yeah and it it can be really, like I said, more life-altering, I think, than even urinary con- incontinence, depending on the severity. And there is a range of severity mm-hmm. with fecal incontinence. Fecal incontinence is actually kind of just the overarching umbrella term. It can be as something as simple as wiping and wiping and wiping and feeling like you never get clean mm-hmm. after bowel movements. We kind of call that fecal smearing. It can be as simple as just a little bit of like streaking in the underwear. It can be letting letting the gas go when you weren't expecting it. It mm-hmm. can be inability to control flatulence as well. So there's, there's, like I said, there's a lot of other, like there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. And so it can be trouble with loose stools all the way up to total incontinence with full, fully formed mm-hmm. stools. Now. Just like when we talked about urinary incontinence, diet, what you put into your body plays oh a role. Gosh. That is huge. That was definitely something that I like was like diving into a little bit kind of like later on, but like diet changes are going to be your best friend. What goes in has got to come out. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of changes that happen during that time. Well-formed and solid stool is a lot easier to control than watery stool. And so if you're on more on that watery side, making some diet changes to help to kind of bulk up that stool is going to make it a lot easier to control and a lot easier to manage. Um, So it really could be something as simple as changing your diet, not something that is like this full on, you know, medical problem that you need surgery for. Yeah. Before we move forward, I have a statistic from the American College of Gastroenterology that says more than 5.5 million Americans have fecal incontinence. It is more common in older people and women. However, many people do not like to talk about fecal incontinence, and it may not be apparent that fecal incontinence is relatively common. Mm -hmm. If you have fecal incontinence and have not discussed the symptoms with physician or family members, you are not alone. 5.5 5.5 million Americans. That's a million. lot. American. That's just, that's just America. Americans. Yeah, that's a lot. This is a relatively America. common. Yes. So do not be embarrassed to talk about it with your medical provider. 
mention it, even it, like I said, even if it's something that it's like, you know, I just can't control passing gas or, you know, it's just a little bit of stool in the underwear every now and then, or even if it's just, you know what, sometimes I trust my farts a little bit too much, like mention it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) I will say it's never normal unless you have a random, like you're sick episode of severe yeah. diarrhea that if something ha- I'm in like the past. if they're like if I ask because I usually ask about it and they're like well one time I had this raging stomach right. bug. <laughs> diverticulitis and, and IBS I'm like, <laughs> I'm like okay one time five years ago that's an outlier that does not count we're talking about like a normal yeah like this is happening monthly mm-hmm. for you so. so some symptoms are the inability to stop the urge to defecate, um, bowel material in the underwear, even without any awareness, like you didn't feel the urge to have a bowel movement. You just pull your pants down next time you try to go pee and you notice there's some of that bowel material there, that fecal smearing, that wiping and wiping and wiping and wiping, feeling like you just cannot get clean. And passing gas without your control as well. And this can occur a lot with some other bowel problems as well. A lot of times this is not like an isolated incident. Um, And so a lot of the information that I got for like the research that I did for this episode is coming from the Mayo Clinic. I love the Mayo Clinic. They have really good stuff. Um, But it can occur among other bowel bowel problems, including diarrhea, surprisingly constipation. You can still have fecal incontinence with constipation, um, as well as gas and bloating. So they went into a lot of different causes, which I thought was really interesting. Some of them were things that I like didn't really think about. So what can cause this? Number one, muscle damage to the anal sphincter to the pelvic floor. Wow. Amazing. Incredible. Who thought that's literally us? Um, This is really common actually with grade four tearing in women during that child delivery process. We should talk about perineal tears and like episiotomies. I don't know how we haven't done that yet. I'll add that to my list. (laughs) Add it to the list. (laughs) Um, But the grade four tearing is basically hole to hole. Um, That is that tearing of that perineal body, that skin in between the vaginal opening and the anal opening, that tear or that cut is going all the way down and that can really damage that anal sphincter. And so that anal sphincter acts as your shutoff valve, acts as your, you know, your closing batten down the hatches in the anal sphincter with that muscle. And so if it's damaged, it's not going to be able to contract properly. And so we can have some fecal incontinence there. Um, This can also be due to nerve damage. Those nerves sense the presence of stool in the rectum and control that anal sphincter. So the same way that, you know, if you have nerve damage in your arm, you might lose control of, you know, some of your fine motor skills, like, you know, playing the piano or getting your keys, you know, that kind of thing. We can lose that motor control of the anal sphincter as well. Or if you're not able to sense that feeling of fullness in the rectum as well can also cause some of that incontinence. A word on nerve control. We've talked about constipation before and why that's so important. I think we talked about it when we talked about, oh, Rachel has a... I have more things that can cause nerve damage and chronic constipation Yeah, top of the list. I just think constipation gets blown off so many times. Like, oh, like we almost joke about it. Like, yeah, we we kind of joke about it. It's like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, pop a laxative once a week. Oh 
And it's like, this can be very, very damaging yeah for a lot of reasons and this is one of them and so it's very very important to find out the root cause of your constipation is it your pelvic floor is it your diet and get that under control because it can lead to problems like this if it's not managed exactly exactly so chronic constipation repeated straining during bowel movements we've talked about how that can be really damaging to the pelvic floor it can also cause nerve damage childbirth spinal cord injuries stroke diabetes and things like like multiple sclerosis um, can also cause some of that nerve damage as well. So we're not trying to scare you, but like at the same time, drink your water and get moving and manage your diet so that you don't have to deal with that constipation or diarrhea. Like either or is going to cause some problems here along the lines of fecal incontinence. So that being said, um, something that I thought was, was really interesting constipation in and of itself, not only can it cause nerve damage, but it can also lead to fecal incontinence. That dry and hard mass of stool kind of forms within the rectum and it's kind of almost impacts itself. Like it's not able to pass. And so it's just kind of sitting there hanging out. What that does is it allows the more watery stool from farther up the digestive tract to actually move around that stool and leak out. And so that can be one of those causes and again can also stretch and weaken those muscles not only of the intestines in the in the digestive tract but that anal sphincter and of the pelvic floor as well so i have a lot of patients who come to see me with fecal incontinence and they're really really confused because their doctors will recommend a stool softener Mm -hmm. and that's why it's because of that constant like how that constipation can cause Mm -hmm. that watery that if you're wondering if you're like and i kind of have that conversation but if you're like my doctor wasn't listening to me because they prefer prescribed a stool softener when I'm having incontinence. That's why. This is why. Yep. This is why. This is why. So, um, diarrhea again, solid stools are a lot more easier to control than looser ones. Your diet is going to be your best friend here. Hemorrhoids can cause fecal incontinence. These are varicose veins within the rectum and they can be internal or external as well. Like you can have some internal hemorrhoids again, straining, constipation, those things can cause hemorrhoids. Um, and that can, that presence of that hemorrhoid can actually prevent the full closure of the anal opening completely. So again, even if you do feel that urge to go, you do have that motor control with the presence of hemorrhoids. Sometimes it's not always able to get completely closed against that. Surgeries to the rectum um, can definitely, definitely cause some problems, whether that's to the rectum, the perineum, the bowels, all of this can lead to muscle and nerve damage, adhesions, restrictions, and a change in bowel function. Like you find me one person that has had a bowel resection that didn't have a significant change in their bowel movements after that. Like it's, it's gonna happen. A loss of storage capacity in the rectum. Um, Again, if the rectum is scarred, stiff, restricted, cannot stretch as it needs to, it can cause some of that excess stool to leak out. Um, Again, surgery, radiation, or any sort of inflammatory bowel disease can cause that loss in storage capacity as well. Yeah, I saw in some of the stuff I was looking at, because we see a lot of cancer Mm -hmm. patients who've had some kind of some kind of internal radiation and radiation and also Crohn's disease can actually cause that rectal wall to stiffen. And so with that stiffening, that rectum can't stretch as much as it needs to. So then we have that excess stool leaking out kind of similar to how it works with the constipation. So 
that's kind of your causes in two in more oh, yeah not two your more. causes Rachel says more <laughs> I have two more it can also be caused by a rectal prolapse um, and this is basically when that rectum actually drops down into the anal opening so you're getting some of that bowel that's coming down sometimes potentially out these are gnarly to see I've these seen are- one I've seen it once I've seen it once I've seen it once um, this can happen to men or women this can happen to men or women. Um, now, a rectocele is a protrusion of the rectum into the vaginal canal. That is with women only. Um, women are definitely at a higher risk for fecal incontinence. The prevalence amongst women is a lot higher because of things like childbirth, where not only do we potentially have some tearing, but we have a lot of extra weight just kind of resting within on those pelvic organs in the pelvic girdle. And so a lot of that extra weight can just be pressing down onto those organs. And I mean, again, I think every single one of my pregnant patients has been like, yeah, I don't know what's going on with my bowel movements. Something weird is happening. It's different. I don't know what it is. Um, so those are the, those are the big ones. Those are, those are the main ones, muscle damage, nerve damage, constipation, diarrhea, hemorrhoids, loss of storage capacity in the rectum, surgery, rectal prolapse, or a rectocele are all things that can cause this fecal incontinence. Um, one of the other things that I found was that a risk factor was being over the age of 65. I don't know why it was that age specifically, but it's definitely more common in older adults, more common in females, those that have nerve damage already, um, and also very common amongst those that have dementia or some other physical disability as well. Very interesting. I know. There's a lot of it. I mean, like she said, there's just so many things that go into it. There's, so. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to consider, um, which is one of the reasons why I really like to ask about surgical history and, you know, okay, any abdominal surgeries, any diagnoses of, you know, IBS, Crohn's, anything like that, diverticulitis, you know, what what do we got going on? I've had like three or four, like two or three patients that have had diverticulitis in the last like two days. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and those are things not to play around with. If you've no, got that is this, like, you can go to the hospital for that. Yeah. You want to make sure that you're managing all of those diagnoses appropriately, yes, depending on what is going on specifically with you. So again, finding that cause is huge and you can prevent this is something that's preventable this is something that's preventable for the most part reduce your constipation control that that diarrhea don't strain on the toilet do not strain first of all get you a squatty potty second of all if it's not working if it's not happening get up and go don't sit there and strain and push until you're blue in the face for the next five minutes just because you kind of felt maybe the need to go to the bathroom if it's not happening just get up and go about your business go about your day so with this being such a complex problem there is a lot of ways to diagnose what exactly Mm -hmm. the issue is one of the basic ones to test the muscles if you're not in pelvic floor pt is anal manometry I don't know. I think I said manometry manometry there we go thank you gotcha um and that's just basically conducted with a sort a short flexible tube that's going to be um, inserted into the anus and the rectum. 
and it's going to measure the strength of the anal sphincter as well as rectal sensation. So that'll tell you is, are those muscles doing what they need to do? Is that part of your problem? They can do some ultrasound just to see if there's anything structurally that's a problem. And then um, they can actually like do some MRI imaging there too. And then there was one, I wasn't a hundred percent sure what this was. It was, um, defect, <laughs> defeco cartography. I know I'm butchering that, <laughs> but basically liquid barium is placed into the colon and rectum with a small rectal tube while you lie on a table. And then the tube is removed and you're asked to sit on like a special toilet and an x-ray video is made while you are sitting on the toilet. So they'll ask you to cough, squeeze your cheeks and your buttocks together, and then expel your rectal contents. And then after you go to the bathroom, you'll be asked to bear down if you were having a bowel movement. So they can get like really, really That's a lot of information. Yeah. yeah. About what exactly is happening during the bowel movement. Um, and I know I butchered that name. I just didn't you were know really how to close. say it. I, I think know. it was great. Thanks. Colonoscopies can be super helpful yeah. too, especially looking to see if there is anything like polyps or diverticulitis or, you know, something, something else that, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. we just don't know what's in there. Um, and so a colonoscopy can be a great tool as well. Um, that's not something that we can like recommend. I mean, we can recommend it. We can't order we can, it yeah. as, as physical therapists. We can kind of write back to the doctor like, hey, we're making some progress, but not a ton. Further investigation, further imaging may be required to identify causes uh, of continued symptoms. And so for our student PTs, for our other PTs, pelvic PTs kind of looking to go into this, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing when, when we have, when we have neck issues, right? We know we can't order imaging, but if you're going to, you know, write back to the doc, Hey, we're making some progress, but we still have these limiting factors recommend further testing. Same thing goes here. Um, I've done it with urologists. We've got a great team of urologists here in Amarillo. And I mean, writing back of like, Hey, these, these are some weird symptoms that, you know, thought that maybe this might be a little bit different. It sounds like it's something else going on. Uh, you know, maybe we need to recommend for some further urodynamic testing and they're usually on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the same thing goes here. If this is coming from a GI doctor or something like that, or an oncologist where we maybe did have some internal radiation within the rectum, we can see a lot of that, like, Hey, okay, maybe let's take a look, see what else could possibly be going on here so colonoscopies are great um there's even like a balloon expulsion test um which might be similar to what you were describing what was it called a defect it's like a def d-e-f-e-c-o-c-r-a-p-h-y defecatory that was close sure yeah i we don't do we don't do these procedures so but the good news is there's a lot of ways to diagnose and figure out what's going on. Yes. And then there's a lot of effective treatments yes. out so, there. I found so many treatments. Yeah, there's a lot. So One of the first things I did see was pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm. Di- actually, dietary changes were first. Yep. And then pelvic floor physical therapy and medication. And so my advice is talk to your doctor, figure out what the problem is, and start with the most conservative thing first. Diet. Yep. Start with your diet. My next recommendation is therapy. Yep. And then from there, medicine and procedures and everything like that. But 
I mean, again, we're physical therapists, so we're always going to say most conservative first. If I can fix something with my diet, I would rather do that than have to take a pill. Absolutely. For the run. Cause yeah, it's just take a, a medication. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times medications have side effects and those side effects have side effects. Yeah. And so if you can identify a food trigger, like spicy foods, fatty foods, greasy yes. foods, dairy, Dairy's um, big one, especially if you have had your gallbladder out. Stop going through the Chick-fil-A drive-through every single day. Oh. Your body cannot handle that amount of grease. It can't. I know it's the Lord's chicken. I know that it is the most beautiful thing on the face of this earth, but your body can't handle it anymore, sweet cheeks. I you hate to get, break it to you. You can get grilled nuggets. True. You can get grilled nuggets True. and a kale crunch salad. Yep. There That's you go. Like, there you go. But if you've had your gallbladder out, your ability to digest and process fatty and greasy foods is significantly significantly less than what it was when your gallbladder was functioning normally keeping a record keeping like a food diary and tracking of what you eat i'll have my patients do this because it helps so much just to recognize okay what could those triggers possibly be if you don't know what is causing your loose and watery stools or you don't know what is causing your constipation then you're not going to know to stay away from it and you're going to continue to have these same problems. And so again, what goes in has got to come out. Our food sensitivities and allergies can change over time and really depends on other things like stress, exercise, what else you're eating, your sleep, the direction the wind is blowing. Like seriously, I changed the form of a vitamin that I was taking. It wasn't a pill and I switched to a gummy version of it because I'm a child and I like gummy vitamins constipated for like five days. And that was literally the only thing that I changed and I'm a bodybuilder. So I'm on a meal plan. So it's not like literally none of my other meals changed. I eat the same thing literally every single day. And so nothing else changed. <laughs> and so it can, it can really be something that small. It can be something seemingly that insignificant. It can be an ingredient. It can be a spice, a seasoning. But again, if you don't know what those things are, you're not going to know to stay away from it. So next time you have like either a lot of constipation or a lot of diarrhea, write it all down, right? Thinking, okay, what have I eaten the last 24 hours? Write it all down and then kind of track, okay, these were my symptoms. Did I have any, you know, did I have any bloating? Did I have any gas? Did I have any indigestion on the Bristol stool chart? What was my stool at? Write that number down. And then the next time that that happens again, do that same thing, find that common denominator, find the common denominator, kind of track, okay, these things made it better. These things made it worse. Again, it can be something really, really small. So if you know to stay away from onions, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Um, food sensitivity tests can be really helpful as well. I've had a couple of patients do that. Um, I can't remember the, the name off the top of my head though. Now that I'm thinking about it. Also looking at the FODMAP. Yes, um, FODMAP diet is fantastic. Because that'll kind of show things that can be um, irritating and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I, like, like stress is another huge one. Oh my Managing gosh, Managing your yes. stress. My stomach is so susceptible to stress. And I know a lot of people, like some people get super, yep. const like you can get really constipated if your pelvic floor, if your butthole's in your throat. Right. When you're stressed, <laughs> you can get constipated or... You know, the opposite problem where you have, like, it's awful. I think both me and Carson, my husband, our stomachs are both super susceptible to stress and we both have the same problem. 
and we've been looking for a house, which is like super stressful. So <laughs> it has just been like World like War even three on our and poor, your, your, your poor our stomach poor toilets. <laughs> it's been awful. We've both like has been struggling. We like get out of the house. I need you He's to like, leave. Like he like we've been popping Imodium. Like it's candy. It's that's hilarious that's so funny absolutely well, like awful we've, we've so. talked about it and especially in the episode that we did on the vagus nerve um we talked about how we have that fight or flight response we've got that sympathetic nervous system it has a counterpart it has an opposite again remember our body likes things to be even equal neutral so we got to have a counterpart to that the rest and digest system keyword there being digest. And so when you're chronically in that stressed out phase and that fight or flight response, all of a lot of your blood and your body's attention to things is going towards your skeletal muscles to help you fight and or run away from whatever it is that is causing you that stress response. When that blood is being shuttled and those nutrients are being shuttled there, they're not going to the digestive system. You are still getting digestion. Obviously we wouldn't function if our digestive system just shut down completely, but it's not nearly going to be to the same extent as it could be when you're nice and happy and well rested and you're chilling out, everything is fine. And so that's where we see, like we've talked about, we can see a lot of these things develop like IBS and Crohn's and food sensitivities because we're chronically stressed. And we talked about it in the come as you are episode two. We don't deal with stress very well in today's day and age. And so if you're not letting that stress cycle complete, we're going to be kind of stuck in that mode. And so you've got to get yourself out of that stress cycle. You've got to get yourself out of that stress response, manage your diet, manage your exercise, drink your water, stop straining on the toilet. I did. I thought so much about that episode in that book because when I was having, like when I was super stressed out, I was like, okay, I've got to complete the stress response cycle. So I went for a run. Beautiful. I was like imagining a lion chasing me. And then I got back and I was like, wow, I outran the lion and I felt so much better. Speaking of, there is this app and I used to have it. I don't have it anymore. I think it's called like zombie run or something like that. And it's literally like it plays over, like you can choose your music. Like you can still like listen to Spotify, but you have like the app running in the background and it'll like cut in every now and then and you're literally running from zombies and it's so entertaining like is it so is fun. so much fun I don't run a ton anymore but like when I do it's so much fun to <laughs> that is a lot of fun it's and you can choose like different courses too so it's like there's like this compound and I think in like the very beginning you were like in a helicopter crash or something and so you were like in in this compound or whatever or sorry, no, you weren't in the compound. You were going to it. The helicopter crashed. The zombies are everywhere. And you just like pick up the headset that like the, uh, or like the radio that was there in the tools. I don't even know. I don't even remember. And so like the compound, like they can communicate to you, but like, they're like, oh, our communication systems must be down. Uh, we'll guide you through this run. Like we'll guide you, like we'll guide you through, like we can see you, but you can't see us yeah. kind of thing. Like we can see you from our lookout tower or whatever. And so like, we'll watch you, like we'll make sure that you get back safe. And, and then it's like, listen, you're about to pass like this, like this hospital, this abandoned hospital. Do you think like you could run in and like, see what you can grab? Okay. There's three on your right you got to run a little bit faster and then it's like at the very you can choose how long you want to run too so at the very end it's like you're right at the gate and it's like they're right behind you you've got to run faster give it everything you've got they're right there and you're just I'm just like booking it on the treadmill like oh my god oh my god 
they're gonna get me so it was really fun highly recommend if you need some motivation it was so fun it was so much fun so if you like to run and you want to complete the stress cycle i feel like you're being chased a little bit zombie run that's a good way to do it that was awesome i'm gonna have to try that that sounds like a lot no it's it's really fun it's really fun and like i said like your music just like plays normally in the background too and it'll only cut in like every couple minutes like so it's not like it's just zombies in your ear the entire time which i really liked um but yeah no it's Awesome. highly recommend highly recommend so um diet changes get your fiber drink your water exercise and go see a pelvic floor physical therapist these and the thing is with research is this the protocols aren't standardized um, when it comes to treating fecal incontinence um, but again that comes down to because there are 18 million different reasons that we can have some bowel dysfunction um, a patient presentation is completely different and so it really does depend on what is going on. Um, I do want to talk about surgeries real quick. Um, you can get a sphincteroplasty. I saw that. I, that kind of blew my mind a little bit and sounded kind of terrible. Um, again, kind of, I know we talked about (laughs) in our, um, medieval medicine episode how you can use, um, leeches for hemorrhoids Uh rather than having a hemorrhoidectomy. And I'm like, I don't, I still don't know about that. I still don't know about that. Um, I would crush the leech. My glutes are massive. <laughs> my pelvic floor would not allow. I don't know. I would just like my butt would clench and I would accidentally kill. <laughs> just because I would freak out. I know how my overactivity works. I would just like do an involuntary squeeze. You could You would. I couldn't know. I couldn't know. Be like, no, you're just knock me out. Put me unconscious. Yeah roll me over onto my stomach and that's gonna that's gonna be what you're gonna have to do if you want this little leech to survive oh my gosh um also a rectocele or a rectal prolapse repair right if that's causing causing a lot of those symptoms repairing that can help ease those symptoms a ton and like last 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 case scenario again depending usually there are many other things contributing if we're going to resort to a colostomy um and so that is where basically the rectum is kind of like detached from the anal opening and it is made into like a little pouch on the uh, abdomen and then you have a little colostomy bag that collects that bowel material externally um, rather than having things pass through so that's usually again reserved if there's like something else going on usually something aggressive and invasive like a cancer um, or damage from a trauma or something kind of along those lines there. So for non-invasive, like actual physical therapy things, the good news is a lot of times this is very, very responsive to pelvic floor physical therapy. Even if it's nerve damage, they've actually done a lot of research with that sensation, that neural sensation and biofeedback therapy. So people just reconnecting like what it feels like to activate those muscles, strengthening those muscles, restoring function. When it's on the less severe side of things, so let's talk about fecal smearing for a little Mm -hmm. bit. I see this very, very often with overactivities. Yes. With muscles that are too tight, I will see some fecal smearing. And it's like either that anal opening isn't allowing for full, complete defecation Mm -hmm. to occur because of that muscle tightness, or we've got one side that's pulling and kind of ending, whatever the case may be. And then people will go to wipe and that, that pressure will, that there's like a little reflex. And when that anal opening feels that pressure, it'll open. And if we haven't voided all that stool, well, then we're just like, 
wiping it and not getting all of it out of there. And so that's where we can see some of those problems. And so a lot of times I will fix, we will fix fecal incontinence without really even addressing that specific Mm -hmm. thing. There's usually a couple of other things and we're just addressing overall pelvic floor function. And once we normalize pelvic floor muscle rest, we see some of those less severe types of incontinence go away. If you are a female, a lot of times we don't even have to do a rectal exam. Mm-mm. A lot of times we really don't have to do a rectal exam. I don't think I've, I've I, I don't think, I know I've never done one. Yeah. I've never done a rectal exam. Um, I haven't really needed to. Yeah. Um, again, we can access, again, if you're female, we can access those, those muscles vaginally. If you're a male, that's just going to be kind of the way it goes. That's how we get to those pelvic floor muscles anyway. Uh, But if you are having a lot of these problems, it can really give us a lot of information. Okay, what is that anal sphincter specifically doing? We can assess it from the outside um, as well, but with an internal rectal exam, we can get a little bit more specific, uh, but it is not always required, especially if like Kelly said, some of those muscles are, you know, maybe more pulling on one side versus the other, not allowing that anal sphincter to relax all the way. Then we are, um, we can work vaginally to address a lot of that. Yeah. And they've done a lot of research with biofeedback, like I mentioned too, for that control, that, making sure those muscles are activating properly or the sensation things, mm-hmm. right? Like learning to connect. Sometimes people have the, and this this is one I've actually seen, that paradoxical muscle contraction. So they're relaxing when the muscle should contract and they're contracting when the muscle should relax. Yeah. And if we can just normalize function or improve sensation, a lot of times these problems get better. So much better. Which is the good news. Very good news. So yeah, lots of options with this. Um, definitely very, very, very treatable with pelvic floor very physical therapy. treatable with physical so, therapy. Yep. Ask your doctor. One of the things I love is we have a lot of doctors here in town who will start patients on treatment. Like maybe it's medical, like a medication or something or dietary modifications mm-hmm. and then send them for pelvic floor physical therapy yep. as well. And so we're getting, we're approaching this from all different angles And I think I've just seen patients do really, really well with that approach. So if your doctor's working on this with you, ask, be like, well, in addition to what you're doing, can we also try some pelvic floor physical therapy as well? Yep. Yep. So be very, very beneficial. That's pretty much all I had on this. Was there anything else you wanted to go over? No. Okay. No, that was pretty much it. All right. Well. That was pretty much it. In that case, things that made my overactivity worse this week has been house hunting. Oh my gosh. But it's been, it's been good. I can only imagine, especially right now with how crazy, I don't, I'm sure it's like this everywhere, but Amarillo was insane. Like I'm not in the market to buy a house, but I will still get on Zillow pretty much every single day. Um, but, and it's just like, there's some bold people asking for a lot of money when we still have wood paneling from the seventies. Like, Oh my goodness. So we looked at some things that just, I think I will probably still have nightmares about or like, Oh, I bet someplace. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, I've also learned that I'm a germaphobe and a neat freak much, much worse than I initially realized. Yeah. But it's okay. You know, we're we're plugging along and maybe, maybe good things will happen. We'll just have to see. Um, do you have a patient one? Yes. So I have a patient. She is 21, 
22, I think. And I've been seeing her for probably about six or seven months. Complicated past medical history. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, um, or EDS, which is basically a uh, basically a disease, a disease of the connective tissue is basically what it is. So your ligaments, your collagen, um, like that, um, the like fibrous tissue that kind of just connects everything. That fascia um, is tends to be a little bit more lax than in your normal typical population. So a little bit hypermobile. Um, she also had tethered cord, um, which if you don't know, the spinal cord needs to be able to move. It kind of bounces in that spinal column. Tethered cord is when that, it's exactly what it sounds like when that spinal cord is tethered to the bottom of the spinal canal. And so she was having a lot of low back pain. It was potentially looking at getting surgery. And her doctor was like, you know what? There's a lot of things just kind of going on in the pelvic low back region. Just go see if it can help. Um, and we, I actually discharged her last week. She has had no low back pain, zero hip pain, zero incontinence, no pain with intimacy, like no abdominal, like literally nothing. Like she comes in, she's like, no, I literally like I'm good. Like everything is fine. Um, and so even with that complicated past medical history now, did I untether that cord with physical therapy? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is a surgical intervention. Know oh, oh. <laughs> your know what's within your scope of practice. Exactly. And what's not. We did not go in there and snip snip away at anything. Uh, but we were able to really alleviate a lot of her pain. She had some pretty significant muscle weaknesses, especially along that posterior chain. And so strengthening up her glutes and her hamstrings and those spinal extensors and erector spinae, like that helped her get so much more stability and take a lot of pressure off of the pelvic floor, that core, um, and everything like that. So that was really cool to see, especially like how far that she's come, even though she does absolutely still have Ehlers-Danlos, she absolutely still has a tethered cord. Um, but the fact that she is able to be so mobile and so functional without any literally zero pain, um, is fantastic. So that was really, really cool to see. Really cool to see. We should talk about Ehlers-Danlos because I see a lot lot of it and they do so well. They do. And I've seen Ehlers-Danlos post-pregnancy, pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy, and they do very, very well. So we should talk about that. Um, Yeah. But that's a great one. I love that. I don't know what it is. If there's like a correlation between Ehlers-Danlos and pelvic floor problems, I have no idea. Maybe we'll look it up Um, and make an episode for you guys. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to figure that out. We're going to figure that out. All right. Well, my patient one was a really fun one because with what we do, Sometimes it's hard and sometimes people don't want to talk to you about what's going on. They're embarrassed. But I, I've been seeing this woman and she's a little bit older. She's not old, but she's, I think, early 70s. And there's something, I, I feel like sometimes when people are a little bit older, they want to talk about things even less, especially with someone who is in their 20s. They're like, absolutely not. Like, I don't want to talk to you. But this woman just like, took to pelvic floor physical therapy. And at the end, I think it was of session two or three, she told me, you are just such a breath of fresh air. And I love coming to physical therapy so much. That's so cute. And I was just like, I just wanted to cry because this is someone like she has so many, not, I mean, she has doctor's appointments and 
and she was talking about how this is so different than her other quote-unquote doctor's appointments and it just made me feel really really good that I don't know that somebody felt that way about that they were enjoying pelvic floor physical therapy even though the things we work on are difficult to talk about and sometimes can be embarrassing but for someone to be like no I actually enjoy working on this and to to actually say like I was a breath of fresh air I was just like thank you I'm gonna cry so much just made my day nice to hear so that was really sweet it was really really sweet. sweet it was very very sweet all right. Do you have a board question I for us? I do. I do. So I actually found a different one. I was telling Kelly, I had one that had, um, was something that our, one of our wound care inpatient professors like hammered into us, but I did find one that was a little bit more specific <laughs> to pelvic floor. So your question is, what is the most appropriate initial position to utilize when instructing a patient in an exercise to tighten the pelvic floor isometrically as if attempting to stop the flow of urine? A, supine, B, sitting, C, tall kneeling, or D, standing. So again, what is the most appropriate initial position to utilize when instructing a patient in an exercise to tighten the pelvic floor isometrically as if attempting to stop the flow of urine? A, supine, B, sitting, C, tall kneeling, or D, standing? Your answer is A, supine. So, Sorry, I was just going to say, which which makes sense because that's going to be a little bit of gravity minimized position. Exactly. And I really like the way that they explain it. So this is coming from the app PT365. The pelvic floor muscles follow the same general strengthening principles as other muscles of the body, which is something that we try to hammer home a ton. It is ortho in a warm, dark place. So we're following the same general strengthening principles as other muscles of the body. As a result, the initial position for the pelvic floor exercise should remove or minimize the influence of gravity. As the patient demonstrates mastery of the initial position, the physical therapist can select positions that will provide the patient with a greater challenge. So supine is really great. If my patient is like above a three out of five strength, I'll have them just start doing Kegels and sitting mm-hmm. pretty much right away. Um, but supine is a really great place to start, especially if they are maybe at that like one or a two really difficult time getting that control contraction going. Um, and so again, this is just kind of that, that progression, you know, we would progress from supine then to sitting, then to tall kneeling, then to standing, um, kind of getting more and more into that gravity dependent positioning. So I love it. Yep. Good question. Very, very good question. Just to hammer home, like you said, pelvic floor, it's just ortho and a warm, dark place. And it should be treated as such, which means the research on strengthening principles or on, you know, how we should evaluate it. It's the same. It's the same. It, it, we should use that comprehensive approach and then use strengthening yep. principles when appropriate. Yep. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, that is fecal incontinence in a nutshell. I hope this was helpful. I hope if you are someone who is struggling with this, you now realize you and 5.5 other American, 5.5 million other Americans are struggling. Only five. <laughs> only five. Only five in the entire country. No, it's like everything else. I hope you feel like you're not alone. Yeah, because you, you're truly not. You're truly not. Yeah, you're not. And nothing to be embarrassed about here. Mm-mm. We see it pretty much on a daily basis. Yep. It's not any, it, it doesn't bother us. It doesn't gross us out. No. It's not something we're like, oh my gosh, I have to treat. Like we just want to help. Yeah. 
you no, guys. It's, it's, it, it all falls within the same realm. It is a pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. Like, and remember, we signed up for this. Like, yeah, we, we, we are, knew what we were getting Yeah, into. we are well aware of our job description. Yeah. <laughs> so this isn't anything that we're like, I have to do that. I have what? to do no. what? Not no. at all. Not at all. Yeah. We love this stuff. Um, we both got into pelvic floor physical therapy because we felt like we were making more of a difference in people's lives mm-hmm. with this kind of stuff. And that's, that's exactly what we want to do. That's and, exactly what we want to do. And any good pelvic floor PT that you go see will feel the same way. Exactly. Like this is what they do. This is what they want to do. Yeah. They want to help you. Yeah. So we want to be here. So, all right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this week. Hope it was informative. Wait, I forgot to say what made my overactivity Oh yeah. Worse. What made your overactivity worse? And literally the only thing that I remember that the only reason I remember is I got, went to the eye doctor yesterday <laughs> and my eyesight is so bad. So like they always have to do like 18 million tests on me, but that stupid little puff of air yes that's the worst the little glaucoma test oh my gosh it's terrible it's so bad it's so bad and they actually got like it's like a small little device that they use now and she was like all right you're gonna feel a little tickle and I was like is this the puff of air and she was like yeah sorry (laughs) and it was it was so much better it was just kind of like centered around like the corner like the inside corner of my eye and it was a lot less aggressive Aggressive. like the full-on puff of air but no that was the only reason I remember because I was like wait a second I'm literally sitting there there was one time I was in third grade I think when they were trying to do that test because I started wearing contacts in second grade so I've I've been doing I've been going to the eye doctor for a while now and they were trying to do the puff of air test and like I kept flinching I kept like literally like jerking my head away from the, from the machine and they eventually were just like all right forget it we're not doing it you don't have glaucoma you're fine you're fine you're you're nine you're probably okay oh my gosh <laughs> that's so funny but okay your PSA this week is eat your fiber drink your water get your exercise in yes all those things will help prevent constipation which in the long run will help prevent fecal incontinence you're welcome Okay, well, we will see you guys next week. Goodbye.